0: Keeping you posted on the biggest contest in football. This is the Rivalry.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Rivalry Podcast. My name is Mitch. Jace, how are you doing this morning? Man, feeling good. Just right. a few things to talk about on the podcast. Just today. a few. You know as last time <laughs> we were recording, we were right afterwards, we were saying, man. I cannot wait till the season gets closer so that we have a lot to talk about and holy cow, do we have a lot to fit in? <laughs> the space into this. of like four days, everything just unbelievable. Here we are. Guys, we have three days till football. Three days till it's football. It's a beautiful thing. It's unbelievable. Beautiful thing. And actually there are some games on Thursday and Friday. So we're 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 three days away till actual football. Well, if you want it, I mean if you want to be technical about
0: it, Hawaii played. This past weekend. The so does that, Warriors. Does, does that count for anything? No. Okay, good. <laughs> good. So games on Thursday then. That's All exciting. Right. So,
1: so we did it. We are so close. We have so much to talk about today. We are going to get into some team news. What's going on with both teams. We're going to talk about Urban Meyer's situation now that the report has come out and the decision has been made. And uh, then we're going to get into what's coming up on Saturday. So it's going to be a good show. Jace. What's going on with Michigan? Any news?
0: Yeah, well, let's let's start there because this is fairly fresh. Uh, Michigan dealing with injuries before the year even starts. Yikes. Uh, most notably wide receiver Tariq Black. Uh, Michigan fans are going to recognize the name, but you haven't really seen him play yet. He played two and a half, maybe three games last year. Broke his, I believe, left foot against Air Force um very highly talented highly touted wide receiver didn't really get to see him excited to get on the field this year and i believe in a non-contact drill just landed wrong or something bro it seems like rumor is he broke his other foot Yeesh. um there is as of time of recording no deadline for his return which means you could be seeing maybe 6 to 8 weeks out if it's surgery, it's definitely a season ender again. So there's still a chance that black gets into the receiving core, but it's kind of a big question mark at this point. So that's, that's one thing happening here. And and by the way, that means guys like Nico Collins, who's really broken out in spring ball. He's going to get a few more targets. Uh, Nick Eubanks is going to get a few more as well. Michigan's working with two tight ends. And so you might be able to have a couple weird formations in like that. That's just a matter of time. We'll see there Uh, some other rumors to kind of, squash right now. Uh, Rashawn Gary, (laughs) the same weekend rumored to have been injured. Sounds like he may have just dinged up his shoulder. He was at the open practice. I know Jim Harbaugh, open practice. Um, Rashawn Gary dings up his shoulder. He's fine. He's in pads. Kron Higdon. There were rumors there. He's in pads. He's practicing this past weekend. Tariq Black's the only one that you've really got to be concerned about, and other than that, anybody could get injured at any point in a game. So do not worry tell too me much this. about that.
1: If he only played two or three games, how much was it? It was two or three games last year?
0: I think it was it was officially three games, because that third game against Air Force, he broke his foot.
1: So is he just the starter because somebody graduated, or, or somebody's out no, of... he No,
0: he was a freshman, and so he redshirted okay. because he didn't play enough, and now this year they're kind of looking at, well... You know, if you come back eight weeks in, you're, you're going to lose your eligibility.
1: It doesn't sound that like it's too mark, big of a deal if he's only a two gamer last year. And then I know. think
0: be, because the wide receiver depth chart for Michigan is at least purported to be pretty shallow, mm. a loss of a guy like that. He is definitely the most talented wide receiver on that team. Um but that's where I kind of hit the brakes a little bit and some of these pundits going like, there's no one to fill it. You've seen him play three games. Is
1: there actually a a section on Michigan's team that's not shallow?
0: Wow. Silence. Wow. Quarterback, running back, the entirety of the defense. Tell me about the quarterback. Why is that not shallow? Because, I mean, if if Patterson gets out there, and let's say he gets hurt it, it, halfway through the year, Brandon Peters is a Better player than he was last year. He's not good enough to start over a guy like Patterson who has experience, but Peters could go out there. And what Michigan needed last year? A competent quarterback. Peters is at least a competent quarterback. And so he got the job done when he needed to last year. He's improved from there on. Patterson's obviously steps ahead of him.
1: They'd be fine. I just want to get you fired up this morning. That's all. That's all. Just keep <laughs> I'm awake some now, right away. All right. So Ohio State news last Saturday is a practice where they came out and named the team captains for the whole year. We've got seven 2018 <laughs> team captains. we got Paris Campbell, the halfback that we saw last year. We saw uh, Jordan Fuller, Johnny Dixon, Nick Boza, Terry McLaurin, uh, Isaiah Prince, and sophomore linebacker, Tough Borland. Sophomore as a team captain is a big deal. Last person to do that was JT Barrett, and that was a long time ago, and it doesn't happen that often. So great job for Tough Borland. So, Ohio State just handing out like
0: captainships to like the popcorn vendor in B deck. Did he get a captainship as well for this year? I'm just I'm curious how you (laughs) end up with seven captains on this team.
1: These guys have earned it through practice, through through everything. These guys have earned their their chance at leading. So, Urban Meyer divides his coaching into nine teams. He always refers to nine strong. If we're working as nine units strong, then we normally have a captain around each of those units um and so that's kind of where we get all of those so we have kind of unit commanders in other news ryan day our interim head coach for the first three games is doing a very good job as what i've heard and seen on twitter he's, he's
0: being impressive he's having impressive presence i'll give him that
1: yeah lsu's head coach uh chip kelly he was ryan day's head coach. Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator at LSU before, and Chip Kelly weighed in last week saying, I think he's going to do a great job. He is a a zealous guy and a great leader without seeming and coming off as power hungry and power thirsty. So that's good. All he has to do is win every game that he coaches, (laughs) or else he's going to look like a disappointment. And that's quite a task that he's got. But he also has three somewhat easy games, TCU being... The TCU,
0: I think is a question mark in my mind more so, and I'll say this more so than I think some of the big networks are letting on. I I think this is a game you got to be real careful with. I'm not saying they won't win. I'm not trying to make you nervous, Mitchell. I'm just saying. This is a bigger question mark game than I think people are giving it credit for. Oh,
1: I'm not nervous at all. Uh, we're, I'm, we're good. Like a week from now, Urban would have already been back for a couple days. He comes back next Monday. Is He's allowed to interact with the team. He's allowed to coach. He just can't be in the building when the game is going on for the first three games. So he's allowed to bring all of that hype and all of those things. This is also a seven-year-old program under him. So it's very well-established. He's got the, on the prep side, yeah. time
0: all week long and all that. Yeah, exactly. for sure. So
1: this is a very well-established team. We're going to be just fine. Just fine. And then all of that hype that comes in with him coming back to be on the sidelines is going to push us through the Penn State game. And it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. But while we're on Urban Meyer, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because <laughs> yeah, everybody y- has heard you gotta so talk much about, about him. Yeah. He, as, uh, as I alluded to so far, he is given the penalty of a three-game suspension and a two-week unpaid suspension. So he is not allowed to interact with anybody or coach or do anything for two weeks, which is going to be up on Saturday. And then after that, he's not allowed to be in the stadium for the first three games of the season coaching. So... It's a what I describe this as is it's an incredibly murky result from an incredibly murky situation with a murky case. It's there. Everybody wants it to be so black and white. If he didn't do anything right, then fire him. If he did do everything right, then. Keep him
0: on. Yeah, reinstate him immediately. And, and it's I think, just not
1: that case. And I
0: think that's the big thing is if, if you're interested, there are 23, 24 pages worth of material that you can look through for the investigation. Um, Mitchell and I both looked through it. We both watched the press conference live. This is it's both a tough one in my mind. It's also not because I think it does boil down to that where you can look through this and say, if you reported this correctly. To your superiors, and Urban Meyer has in his contract. You report to Gene Smith, the AD, and you report it to compliance. And Gene Smith also has to report it to compliance. If you follow that, and you did nothing wrong, then you get reinstated. In my mind, in my again, in my Michigan opinion, because I think I think he's a good coach. I want to play against Ohio State at their best and beat the snot out of them. So if he's if he did it right, go ahead and reinstate him. If he didn't though, then fire the guy. And here's where I. Just, it just mm, grinds my gears. <laughs> Here's where it grinds my gears, though, because if this were if you read this investigation, there are very clear blind spots and free passes that he gave to Zach Smith over a period of years. And uh, let's say not the wisest decisions in failing to inform things that, again, technically the 2009 thing in Florida, the arrest, he doesn't have to disclose that. But he knew about it and probably should have told someone about that in the hiring process to begin with. Again, that's not fireable, but it's a questionable judgment call on Urban's side. So, and yeah, that's and that's-, that's where I say, if this were the water polo coach at Ohio State, they'd be gone like that. But because it's Urban Meyer, no, we're gonna we're gonna play this kind of well. We're gonna suspend you type of thing. And that's to me, it's it, it's one or the other. Don't play this middle ground here.
1: See, I disagree. I have recently read Urban's book, Lessons in Leadership After the um, Championship Team. And it, it, the middle of the book, it's like on page 178 because I recently read this and I was like, oh, this points to this. Uh, it's during his 10-80-10 theory where 10% of people are doing all that they can for what their mission is in life. 80% are pretty good and then the last 10% don't give a crap about what they're doing. They're just there and doing it. And while he's talking about getting those 80 percenters to the top 10 percenters and his theory on doing that, he has numerous examples of players and of staff that are constantly making what he would call below the line decisions, things that are not the wisest. He, wants, he has a passion in raising people up to greatness, specifically men, which is why he's doing so well as a head coach. And there were several times where people are, where players are getting pulled over for DUI. And he was confronting them in the moment saying, look, I'm not going to get rid of you. I'm going to push you until you get better. And I can see that happening with players. And then you bring in the situation where he has a huge heart for this father figure of his grandson, Zach Smith. And he wants to keep pushing him and pushing him because he doesn't want to give up on him. And I can see his heart in this and I can see him trying and trying and trying and put himself out there. In this particular instance, this person just did not get better and really ended up hitting Urban Meyer on the backside. And so what I think is I have a heart for him because I have a tendency to be loyal to people, almost too loyal to people sometimes. And I can share that with him. I think the overarching thing is he didn't do what I got out of the, when I read through the uh, summary of findings is that he didn't have anything that broke policy. He didn't have anything that broke his contract. He didn't break any of the rules. He simply did not communicate to the high standards that Ohio state has to offer. So in that with him, not with him kind of doing something, not good. It's you have to be careful how to word it If you, If he kind of didn't do the best that he could, he's going to get a kind of eh penalty as well. So I really don't think it's uh, who he is. I've seen that on ESPN all over. If this guy wasn't as winning as he is, he'd be gone. I don't think so because he didn't break any of the rules. He didn't break any policy whatsoever. He just didn't simply perform as high of expectations. We'll agree to disagree on it because that's that's kind of the way it is. Yeah, the press
0: conference indeed was <laughs>
1: – so you can tell
0: he didn't agree with it. The
1: whole 10-and-a-half-hour meeting before that, it just showed – that. and I think people have already decided how they feel about Urban Meyer before any of this happened. If, oh, If people down. were fans of his, he, they were going to come up with excuses about why he acted the way he did as much – like how I act. And then if people just already have locked him away in their minds, they're going to come up with answers like that. It was a 10 and a half hour meeting. He got a result. He didn't like, he didn't seem super thrilled, but he came out the next day and said, sorry, the way I was acting was not in agreement with how I felt and yada, yada. yada. So again, really murky. It's in the past. I think overall people are just happy that it's in the past and we're moving forward. With say, if,
0: Yeah. If you're a Buckeye fan, you look at this and go, you know what, whether you agree with her or not, Here's the situation that you find yourself in. And thankfully, you know, other than the TCU game, you got Rutgers. And then this week, you've got Oregon State, which, I mean, there's not a whole lot to preview from the Ohio State, Oregon State standpoint. It's going to take an act of God for Oregon State to not lose by 30 points or more.
1: ESPN has Ohio State at 37-point favorites in Week 1, and they <laughs> Oregon State has a 1.2% chance to win the game. It's going to be one of those that's locked up by the end of the <laughs> first quarter and yeah. just kind of fun to watch. I was watching the College Game Day preview shows, an hour-long show on Saturday, and I was so excited because that music, da-da-dun, da da I love that stuff. And when I was clicking on, I'm watching, I'm like, yes, college football is back. And then they went on to talk about their predictions for the Big Ten championship, <laughs> for the national championship. And I thought nowhere of you. I thought of you in that conversation was Ohio State, and I was like, what? Because they were all previously saying that they don't think Ohio State's going to be affected too much by this, that they're one of the best teams. And then when they go on to pick the best teams, not one of them, even even Corso, didn't pick. Ohio State, and I was so dashed by that. And Corso, like he's the he's the guy. He was the first one to put on the the Buckeye the the Brutus head, and I I just felt so betrayed by college game. How
0: ahead. did you feel about Desmond Howard's predictions?
1: Desmond Howard <laughs> is delusional. Because I thought of you. He picked Michigan with the schedule that they have to win the national championship. What he pick him over over
0: uh, over Alabama in the final? Yeah. Uh, He he had Alabama back
1: to me one more time, Michigan
0: over Alabama in the final. And here, here's what I'm going to say. I'm not saying that he's right, but I'm also not saying he's delusional. I'm saying that we have no idea what kind of team Michigan has this year. I am, I am convinced that they are capable of doing that, but I, I would kind of pump the brakes. And again, any team that you pick at this point in the year, you should probably pump the brakes on. I don't think it's that loud of a pick. I just think
1: it's an unpopular pick. I think it's a stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk Herbstreit said that with Patterson, Michigan can beat Notre Dame and if they do it's going to get some serious momentum. Yeah. I agree with him there. However, I think if they lose to Notre Dame, some serious momentum is going to be lost. I mean, here's the thing. You can't there was a trend on Twitter this
0: week too um about putting so much weight on week 1 games. And there, people were asking, like, what is the what is the biggest week one game that's been overhyped in recent memory? And the one that kept coming back was Texas over Notre Dame in 2016. You know, the, the Texas wins, over Texas is back, folks. And then the narrator comes in, but Texas wasn't back. You know, and that nice. kind of thing. And nice. and so for me, it's kind of I was reading from uh, the one of the Notre Dame sites this morning, and they said from their side, you know, does it matter if we beat Michigan? Obviously, yes. But in the long run, if you beat Michigan and lose four games, no. If you lose to Michigan and win out, no, it doesn't matter. So sure. you, you can't put too much weight on that. Obviously, both teams find the need to win that.
1: If you want to go to the Michigan-Notre Dame game, you can get your tickets as low as $200 for the nosebleeds <sighs> that are left. So it's an expensive Goodness. game. I looked on the other end of the spectrum to see what are some of the lowest-cost tickets that I could find. And they're at TCU's game, which everybody's kind of – on the side of TCU, when they get to the Buckeyes, they want it to be a close game. They think that there's a chance that they could beat Ohio State. Their first game is uh, at a cost of $6. So wow, you could trade three quarters of your Chipotle burrito it's to a friend with a ticket. Like that's, and...
0: I could park downtown in the short north or I could go to a college football game. So that's not bad.
1: Whatever. I also saw one for $3, which was insane. I don't even remember the team. It was, they, were, they were nobodies, but obviously watching their football is less valuable than a Wendy's 4 for 4. OK, <laughs> make, so make better choices, kids. So what are your final thoughts on Michigan Notre
0: Dame? Yeah, I think Real quick. I, I think Michigan has a good chance to win Tariq Black out. That's a big injury for Michigan. What I think is a bigger thing that no one's talking about for Notre Dame is Dexter Williams. The star running back is suspended for the first game for Notre Dame. That's a huge loss. Mm. Uh Their quarterback, Brandon Wimbush. Real iffy. And the Notre Dame sites will tell you from spring practice, he has not looked great. And the coaching staff are even considering kind of what Florida had last year uh, with the two quarterback system, which is never a good thing when you haven't even played a game yet. I, I honestly think not trying to be a Homer Michigan's defense, I think is going to eat him alive. I think Michigan by 10 plus.
1: The thing I'm most excited about is I, cause I, I don't care about this game. I do because it's, you know, important to the show, but if Michigan loses great, Michigan lost, if Michigan wins, then there's more hype. So I really don't care. Ohio you know, state's going what to about win. my feelings. I couldn't care less <laughs> what I'm truly looking forward to this weekend is tailgating. I it's been too long. Tailgating is one of my favorite. Do you have a favorite thing that happens to tailgate? Whether it's a food whether it's the game. I am a boss at uh, at Cornhole, Beanbag oh. Toss. That's just like an Ohio I will, thing. I will
0: beat anybody. Did you just call it Beanbag Toss? Beanbag Toss, Cornhole. Who calls it Beanbag My wife's toss? family is from the South. They call it Bago. I don't get it. Whatever it is, I will crush anybody listening That's at wrong. that game. I'm looking we'll give forward you to live tailgating. updates of that from the next upcoming weekends as well.
1: Check our Twitter feed and we'll play whatever you just called Cornhole. <laughs> it's just wrong. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you guys for sticking with us in the preseason. We look forward to sticking with you guys as the season goes along. We're going to come out with a new episode every Wednesday. You can find us at 1049theriver.com, Spotify, or iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter as well. Jace, what's the name of the Twitter? We are at
0: Podcast Rivalry. So kind of rivalry, podcast, reverse. At Podcast Rivalry, use the hashtag RivalPod. And we look forward to college football kicking off. Feel free to throw shade towards Jace's
1: direction anytime (laughs) you want on our Twitter page. See you guys.
0: Not just a game, it's the game. You're listening to The Rivalry.